Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. I am with Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer of the Roanoke Times. I am Aaron McFarling, sports columnist of the Roanoke Times. Man, we have a lot to get to. It is it is ACC title game week here, and we will we will look back really quickly on the UVA game. We'll get into the all ACC honors and the snubs that that we uh, perceived in those. Um, Buds Foster versus the Clemson offense. Uh, what kind of tenor of game we expect on Saturday in Orlando, the disrespect card that we're seeing um, throughout, and what, maybe what that means, uh, and also our predictions, as always, at the end of the show. Andy, um, you know, we, you and I both sat here a week ago and said, well, I'll throw out that 20-point line. This game's probably going to be a lot closer than that. Uh, we were wrong. Um, your thoughts on Virginia Tech's 52-10 dismantling of, of Virginia? Well, we're idiots. Uh, Correct. We say it every week. We're like, oh, Vegas knows something. Why would you go against Vegas? They don't build those casinos uh, with their own money on this. And sure enough, <laughs> we've kind of balked at that 20-point line, and obviously it wasn't high enough based on the result. I think that still was sort of an unusual result, but obviously a huge gap between the two programs. Uh, I think it was just impressive the way that Virginia Tech went out there and just you know stepped on their neck right away and didn't let up. Uh, twenty-eight nothing. I think at halftime, didn't get any closer after that. Uh, really, the last quarter and a half, you know, the Hokies called off the dogs, uh, playing their second team. Uh, I guess Trayvon McMillan on the second team because he fumbled early isn't exactly second team, second team. But you know, backup receivers and defenders and quarterback and all that stuff. Uh, I, I was a little surprised that there wasn't more fight in Virginia, but you know, we've seen Virginia Tech play like that before. And they've just completely outclassed teams like Boston College and East Carolina earlier in the year. Uh, I was kind of surprised later in the year where they've hit a little bit of these struggles that they were able to recapture that. I guess they recaptured it at a good time going into the ACC title game. I was over at the uh, Berglund Center today talking to some hockey folks, and and one of the guys the in the ticket, one of the guys in the ticket office is a UVA fan, and he said, "Yeah, it was so bad that my friend who plays for Tech got in the game. <laughs> like he, <laughs> he's like he's like yeah, he's got a different number on his ro- on the roster than he does in real life, and uh, it, it really did go that deep into the bench um, for Virginia Tech that day. And you know, let me say this: I mean, if I'd have known that Bronco was going to do that with his quarterbacks." <laughs> that's one thing that I probably would have had a different opinion. Also looking back on, I mean, I guess I saw the two best Virginia. I saw Virginia at its best Duke. They won that game on the road, you know, and then I saw that I watched that Louisville game from my couch. And I was the same way. I feel like I got a misguided notion of exactly how good the Cavaliers were. Yeah. They got a long way to go. Uh, But Virginia tech gets the win. Didn't have to get it in order to get to Orlando, but got it anyway. And certainly the, the celebration was, was enjoyed by all, and then they turned their attention to uh, to this game on Saturday, and it's a big one. Uh, Hokies open as a nine-point dog, I think, ten or nine-point dog. Yeah, I think it's up to ten now. Okay. Last time I checked. I, I haven't checked it today, though. Before we get to the matchup, let's talk about This is obviously the week that uh, the All-ACC honors come out. Give us a snapshot, a rough sketch of, of who got what and who didn't get what, who deserved it. Uh, you know, for the Hokies, the only first team guy that they had was Woody Barron. Uh, and that's certainly deserved for Woody. You look at, you know, I think historically, uh, Virginia Tech has not been very well represented on the first team all ACC defensively. 
mostly because they never really have guys that put up these huge stat totals. I mean, they're, they're not like, uh, you know, Boston College always has a guy that has 140 tackles. Uh, UVA has been like that lately. You know, Quinn Blanding always makes a ton of tackles. Uh, I don't know if that necessarily means he's a great safety or that he's just, you know, the defense is so bad that he's making a lot of tackles. Well, to your point, I, I wrote the tackles up after that game. I think Blanding and Kaiser both had like 15 or right. They make tackles. all They make all the tackles on that defense. So it, this year I tried to be a little bit more representative representative of who the good defenses were getting more of those guys up there. So I actually had Terrell Edmonds on my first team over Quinn Blanding. Uh, which I don't think a lot of people would have done just based on the stats. But, you know, Woody Barron had 17 and a half tackles for a loss this year, and that is five and a half more than any interior lineman at a Power 5 school this year. So he had the stats this year finally to get that recognition. He got a first-team nod. Um, actually had the second-lowest point total of all the first-team defensive guys. So he got there, but he still got there by just barely getting over uh, the mark necessary to do it. Um, I was a little surprised. I thought you could have made a case for Isaiah Ford. He was on the second team. Um, you know, it was him or Ryan Switzer really for that third first team receiver spot. And I, I know Switzer had better overall stats in terms of catches and yards, but Ford had more touchdowns. He had a better yards per catch. Uh, you know, he doesn't quite get as many of those receptions on the, the quick hitches and screens and stuff like that, that Switzer does. So I could have seen an argument one way or another there. Tremaine Edmonds was a second team linebacker. Uh, he's another guy who had the stats. He had 17 tackles for a loss this year. So I think that really stands out with him, you know, and then they had a bunch of guys on the third team, uh, you know, third team, uh, honorable mention, uh, third teamers here, Bucky Hodges, McLaughlin, Augie Conti, Joey Sly, Andrew Batuapawaka, and Greg Stroman. Uh, they have Hodges as a tight end. He was listed as a tight end in the system for the voting. I didn't vote for him because he's not a tight end. I, I just couldn't do it if he didn't play the position all year. Right. Uh, you know, McLaughlin and Conti, I don't think they were probably third teamers in my mind. I don't think anybody on the offensive line for Virginia Tech had that great of a season. I, I personally probably would have put Teller above those guys if I was going to put anybody on it. Uh, Matua Pawaka was close on mine. He, he certainly has the stats uh, to be up there. Uh, I think he also had some some gaffes here or there, you know, missed assignments or, or missed tackles that, that hurt him that people don't necessarily see in the voting. And uh, Greg Stroman, I think, had a really good year. He lost some points in my mind because he got hurt at the end of the year. I mean, you missed three games, uh, you know, one quarter of the season. It's tough to be up there, especially with a deep cornerback field. But, you know, good. there's a good case for all those guys to make it. I think I also had Joey Sly on my third team just the volume of kicks that he made this year, not necessarily a lot of long ones. I had some issues on the, you know, protection in terms of things getting blocked and you can't really blame him for that. But uh, that whole operation wasn't exactly sharp all season, but you know, I think he had enough volume that he could have made it on there, but he got an honorable mention. I want to take Gerard Evans as a completely separate case, a completely separate topic because he didn't even get honorable mention. We'll get to that in a second, but I think what we've learned here is that Virginia Tech's, Twitter feed needs to include more fire emojis, turkey emojis, <laughs> lunch bail emojis. I think this would get the voters to to vote more in favor of Virginia Tech than they did. I don't I don't think well, they, enough. They, they they could have sent out an email with his stats. I think Virginia Tech was one of three schools that did not send something out oh, to really? the Axma members. So, you know, looking at how narrow that was between he and Trubisky, uh that might have been the difference. That yeah, could have been. Before we get to Gerard, I mean uh Justin Fuente wins coach of the year. Um, I think that's not overly surprising, especially those of us who've been around and seen how 
how smooth the transition has gone from Frank Beamer to Justin Fuente and, of course, the win total going up and all that. Uh, your thoughts on, on him winning the honor in his first year at the helm here? Uh, I think you're right. It's not a surprise. Uh, you know, we've talked about how that coach of the year award normally goes. It usually goes to the coach who exceeds the most, the preseason expectations the most. I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. I'm saying that's how the voting usually ends up. Uh, so you have guys like Dabo Sweeney and Jimbo Fisher, who between them, I think have won the last five conference titles in the league, uh, have one coach of the year honor. Jimbo's never gotten it. He's won a national title. He doesn't have a coach of the year honor. So there's, there's a little bit of, uh, oddness there and some of the years I think you could argue uh, you know that people just give it to a, a team that exceeded expectations the most I don't think this year is really an egregious example of that though mm-hmm. uh, you know Fuente pulled this team out of a four-year funk mm-hmm. uh, they had not done that well they were about a 500 team got them over the hump got them back to win the coastal division which I think is a deeper division than people give it credit for it doesn't have the headlining teams like the Atlantic does but uh, top to bottom or close to the bottom, it's 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 a tougher division than it has been in recent years. And, uh, you know, it's not easy to follow up a legendary coach. Uh, it's not easy to come in and, you know, Frank is still kind of around and his assistants are still kind of on the staff. And that could have been an ugly transition. Sure. And it wasn't. I, I think Fuente deserves some credit for that, uh, for making it such a smooth transition from one staff to the next that, uh, you know, they really just kind of kept churning forward. There wasn't any really big setbacks or anything like, oh, this it's a rift on the team from guys that were loyal to the previous staff to the new guys. And it, I just think that he made that look very easy, and it wasn't. And, and maybe people, you know, don't factor that in because he made it look so easy and, and got to the division title like he did. But, uh, you know, I think a very deserving honor. He's been a head coach five years now. Mm-hmm. He's won a coach of the year award twice, yeah. uh, did it in Memphis in 2014. So uh, it's apparent that he knows what he's doing when it comes to coaching football. Definitely. And, and very deserving of the honor. I totally agree with that. Uh, I, I, there's not a lot of bones at all to pick with Fuente. What I will say, and this is what's, what jumps out to me, when you look at the totality of of the voting. Okay. You look at the fact that tech got one player on both sides of the ball on first team, all ACC and Fuente wins the coach of the year going away. What, what the voters are saying is they believe that uh, basically Fuente took a team bereft of talent and with coaching magic and wizardry turned this into a, a coastal division winner. Well, well, what I look at is, is, you know, Isaiah Ford will be remembered as one of the greatest receivers ever to come through Blacksburg. I think Bucky Hodges have a similar claim in terms of talent level. He'll be one of the greatest athletes to come <laughs> right. through. He doesn't have a position. They have a kind of, uh, you know, muddled his position over the years. And guess what? Gerard Evans, too. I mean, Gerard Evans will be remembered as one of the best quarterbacks to ever come. He's certainly the best since Tyrod at, at Virginia Tech. Does it get enough votes to reach the threshold for honorable mention, which is 20 votes? I think he's getting dissed here, and I, I think I think people are ignoring his impact. I think of all the things that Justin Fuente did, you know, the 25 jersey, the staying calm and measured when when Tech lost to Syracuse and Georgia Tech, the, uh, the 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 faster pace of the offense, all those things are great. None of it works as well without Gerard Evans. The best thing Justin Fuente did was bring in Gerard Evans. Yeah, I think so. I think with regards to the voting, it's sort of an unusual year for quarterbacks in the ACC. Uh, I mean, you have the likely Heisman Trophy winner 
who is supplanting the reigning ACC player of the year, who's still here. So right. Lamar Jackson and Deshaun Watson, I think, are 1-2. Definitely. Almost in everybody's minds. So that leaves third place. you got to get to 20 points. You need at least 20 votes out of, I think it was, I forget how many voters there were, uh, like 48 or something like that. So you have to get more than half of that to just get of all the third place votes to get to 20 to get that honorable mention. So, you know, he's right there with Mitch Trubisky. Uh, I mean, Mitch Trubisky, some people are calling him the number one quarterback prospect in this draft coming up. And I looked at their stats. I compared them almost identical in yards. Uh, They're both about 3,700 yards when you combine passing and rushing. They're both 34, 35 touchdowns somewhere in there. Uh, I mean, almost identical stats. So I could see the argument uh, one way or another for Trubisky over Evans with that third team spot. Uh, Personally, I put Evans there. I mean, they did beat Trubisky head-to-head. They did win the division. I think those things should count for something. Uh, it was interesting, the voting. We got the – Evans got 16 third-place votes. Trubisky got 19. And Trubisky got uh, – or 17. And Trubisky got six second-place votes. Really? So six voters put him ahead of presumably Deshaun Watson. I can't imagine they would put him ahead of uh, Lamar Jackson, but – I think maybe that speaks a little bit to the North Carolina flavor of the uh, ACC well, media, but I, I, that kind of boggles my mind that he could get that many second place votes. I, I think Trubisky and Evans, there's a very good argument between those two as, as number three quarterback in this. I, I just think Evans maybe could have gotten a little more uh, notice there. Yeah, and you also see this sometimes where people will take the better pro prospect as, as if that's important right like i don't think it should matter but i think there are some people that want to be like well i voted for him second team all you know 10 years from now when he's in the nfl doing well or whatever i didn't vote for deshaun jackson or deshaun uh, watson or or right jackson you know some bust from the past i'm trying to think of a good example (laughs) in the acc none are coming to mind yeah but i mean he keep went you know and this is kind of funny, and I apologize to people who actually read the paper and are going to read this in a column that I'm writing for tomorrow. But spoiler alert: <laughs> but the you know he was Gerard Evans was on a teleconference on Monday. The media is uh, for the ACC title game teleconference, and the the moderator is a ACC official, and he said, "We have Jared Evans here on the phone." <laughs> And the first question was from a reporter. I'm not going to mention his name, but he, he's in, he's based in Virginia. <laughs> and, and he said, hey, Jared, how are you doing? And he wasn't being sarcastic. He was being serious. He, he thought his name was Jared. Or maybe he just was, you know, his mentally. This was nobody on this podcast. No, nobody on this podcast. And nobody on the podcast you taped on Sunday either. Um, but anyway, and, and Jared, Jared Gerard. Listen, you just did it right yeah, there. This see, is the I'm going to forgive the reporter, but I'm not going to forgive the ACC official. Gerard uh, replies, you know, he says, hey, Jared, how are you doing? And Gerard goes, well, it's Gerard, but I'm doing fine. How are you? <laughs> I just thought that. And then the, the voting results come out later that day. He has a tweet. What's his tweet say? Uh, what did it say? I'm it trying said to the disrespect. The disrespect. Exclamation point. Yeah. Uh, bet that, which I love that he referenced gambling somehow in that. Uh, bet that, which I guess means bet, you know. Bet that you'll remember that. Bet that you'll today, remember yeah. that. Uh, then we have a chance to talk to him for the first time after this results are out on Tuesday night. And the first question is from Norm Wood. And he asked them, he says, uh, Gerard, what do you think of the results? And give, give us a, paint us a picture of what 
Gerard's re- response was. Well, his his response was very diplomatic. Uh, you know, he said, you know, I don't care as long as the, you know, the, I know the fans, the players, the coaches are behind me. He said some of the players, his teammates had some choice words uh, about the way the voting went down. Uh, he says as long as they're behind him, it doesn't really matter. Now, he might be saying that publicly, but I feel like he really has internalized this as extra motivation this week just because he's that kind of guy. Uh, I mean, the tweet said that. He can say whatever he wants to us, but uh, even as he's saying that, you're sitting there going, I think he's keeping this, he's putting in that lockbox for, for later on whenever he needs to get that extra little bit of motivation to get through a situation. I, His body language told me he fully expects to win the ACC Championship Game MVP award. Now, am I? do I think he's going to do that? Not necessarily. We'll get to our predictions later. But... That's the only chance Tech really has to win is him to play out of his mind. And I, I think he's just – I mean, I, I think this disrespect stuff is garbage 99.9% of the time. I really do. I think people create stuff out of thin air. But from calling the guy Jared, I mean, like he's fling, slinging sandwiches and being a disgraced pitch man or selling jewelry at a store, when he's the best quarterback here since Tyrod, and his numbers prove it, and he's thrown, what, five picks all year? Five picks. Two of them are – one bounced off Isaiah Ford's hands. One's bounced off Cam Phillips' hands. I mean, hands. they're not here without Gerard Evans. Correct. They're not in this position. And for the ACC representative to not even know the guy who's most responsible, other than perhaps Justin Fuente, for this team being here, uh, I, you know, actions speak louder than words, and and, and, and words – can be actions. <laughs> that was a, that action of saying his name wrong really just stuck with me. I was like, wow, he really is getting overlooked. It's not just that Geron, Deshaun Watson is on the other side. I almost called him Deron Watson. So disrespect. Yeah, I'm disrespect. There it is, bulletin no board disrespect, material. Mr. Watson, I know who you are. You're you're a great player, but so is Evans. That's yes. my point. Yes, and I did ask him last night. I said, you know, if you have a good game, do you think people will learn how to pronounce your name? And he, yes. he kind of laughed it off, and then another person started to question. He turned to me and goes, that, yes, that would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but no, I, I I completely agree with you on all points. And, you know, you, even before the year, you know, we I think we both picked them 7-5, and five, yeah, somewhere in that range. But we put the caveat on that, unless Gerard Evans is special at quarterback. Right. And we didn't really know. I mean, that competition dragged on to the end of August, but you saw the junior college numbers. You saw how much the staff liked him. You go, I think there's potential there. I, I don't know if Fuente was sandbagging it in the preseason, just trying to, you know, maybe lower expectations for what he might accomplish or what exactly it was. Because obviously he knew more about Evans than anybody there. I mean, he'd recruited him for a long time, so he figured this probably could have been possible. Uh, but yeah, you know, we both said that if, if Evans is something special, if they figure out that quarterback spot, then that raises the ceiling of this team. And it obviously did. No doubt. No doubt. Let's go, let's go to the other side of the ball here. What about more disrespect? We'll get to that. Okay. Oh, you, you, let's, okay. Let's get to the more disrespect now. Uh, <laughs> I had that listed after our next topic, but, uh, you saw something funny, hilarious, <laughs> right? Somebody tweeted, I think it was an assistant strength coach tweeted it, that, uh, on ESPN, they were talking about the game. Uh, they put the logos in the background. They had the logo correct and the little Chiron at the bottom, but in the background, it had the Clemson logo and it had the Virginia logo. It had the two, the you know, the cross swords like that. It's like, wow, they're really, <laughs> really just sort of glossing over Virginia Tech in this game. And 
where what you heard something as well where somebody just wasn't giving Virginia Tech a chance. Well, it, it's it's in the questions that are being asked on these teleconferences. Well, no, what what was it like? Uh, oh, oh, Deadspin or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I clicked on Deadspin. They had a story about the uh, the alleged racist comments in in Clemson's victory over over South Carolina. Of course, I clicked on that. It's clickbaity. But one of the lines in there was Dead Deadspin wrote. Uh, uh, Clemson qualified had already qualified for the uh, ACC title game by winning the Atlantic Division, and because they are playing Virginia Tech, they have qual- they are going to be ACC champions. Like just sort of a a snide little right. statement that this is a walkover. Um, and also, I just think you know when you when you listen to some of these questions that are being asked of, of Virginia Tech uh, or, or of Clemson players as well, like well, Cle- Tech really likes to run the ball and eat the clock. Uh, what right. are we gonna do about that? I'm like, are, have these people watched this team at all? Like, that's not what they do exactly. Right. That I saw it on the, uh, I think it was the Florida State SB Nation site the other day. It was sort of handicapping all the championship games, and uh, the writer said about the ACC championship game. I don't think Virginia Tech will be able to throw the ball well enough to keep up with Clemson. That's it's all like, they're gonna it's do. Like, well. I can think of ten reasons why Virginia Tech would not win this game, right? And being unable to throw the ball is not one of them. It's it's you know stopping a running quarterback, slowing down this offense, not having a consistent running game, turnovers, you know, fumbles, stuff like that. Uh, they have a pretty good passing game. I mean, they have three you know the best trio of receivers at once at the school. I think in the program's history, they have a quarterback who's thrown for more touchdowns. Uh, than anybody in a single season in history. I mean, this is a this is a modern day offense, whereas it wasn't uh, as recently as a couple years ago. I think Leffler updated it a little bit. The results were not there, but they they did more spread stuff, more hurry up stuff. But this is full throttle spread, full throttle hurry up when they want to. And uh, I feel like just people are talking about this game like it's 2011 Virginia right. Tech. It's, it's like it's a very old version of what this team is. It's a very different group. Uh, and, you know, honestly, I think it's more similar to what North Carolina was in that a team that last year that was able to play Clemson in the shootout in the in the ACC title game was right there with them. And, uh, you know, we'll get to the scores later, but if this game gets up in the 30s. I don't see any reason why Virginia Tech can't keep up with them because they have that capability. Yeah. And, you know, I think Bud Foster's already sort of conceded the fact that he's going to give us some points. I mean, he said, "Look, we're what was his quote? I think we're gonna we're gonna try to slow him. Yeah, we hope we that. hope we can slow him down. Yeah, yeah." And um, he said it was the one of the most complete offenses there. I think he said the most complete offense, probably the most complete offense they've faced since he's been here. And you know, Bud is prone to hyperbole, but sure. yeah, still, thirty years that's a pretty that's high praise, no doubt. So what is what is his plan? I think what, it, what is his best? Plan? Well, I think his best plan is. You know, it starts with the way he always approaches it. They can't let the running game going get going because then you're just guessing when they're going to pass it. If you can force them to, into passing downs and kind of go after Watson without that fear of the running game, that helps. But he said it a couple times the other day is they just can't give up the huge plays. Right. Uh, and a couple, you know, the last time they played Clemson or last time they played Clemson in the ACC championship game, those big plays is really where it went over. I remember that Sammy Watkins touchdown. I think it was early in the second half of that 2011. ACC title game. It's like, okay, the floodgates are opening here. And that's kind of what happened. Uh, you know, Clemson has enough players on this team and enough talent that they can beat you in a single play like that. Uh, you know, the Hokies have to make them work for that. They have to make them go down the field. And Deshaun Watson this year has thrown 14 interceptions. He's thrown a bunch in the red zone. Like you have to make them work to get all the way down there and then make them work to get into the end zone. Uh, you know, that's easier said than done. 
and uh, you know if they get the ball to a guy in space and he makes a, a move and gets past somebody, he could go all the way. But uh, you know I think that's just what this defense has to do is they have to rally to the ball, they have to make sure small stuff doesn't turn into big stuff, and and really just make Clemson earn everything they get offensively. Yeah, I'm marking down two blown coverage touchdowns here already. Yeah, it's probably. I think gonna there's going to be two of those. Now where where the game is won or lost, I think is those little catches on the sidelines where you know it's one on one, make the tackle in space or don't, and if they can wrap up, make those tackles, make Clemson huddle up again or line up on the line up at the line of scrimmage again. And, and run another play, that's a small victory. And and I think that's sort of what he's after. I mean, he talked a lot about yak, you know, yards after catch and, and how important that will be in this game. And I think you'll notice, I mean, like early on, if you're noticing that Tech is tackling well, um, I think that uh, that would give you a lot of hope as a Virginia Tech fan that, that uh, maybe they can win this thing. Yeah, and and they have done that for the most part this year. I know they've given up some some big plays and – yeah, you always remember the big plays more than the ones you don't, but I think they have been a lot better this year than last year, obviously with those number of huge plays that they give up. And, uh, you know, Notre Dame had the 67-yard run and the Georgia Tech had the two bus runs up the middle. Those are big plays. That's what they have to avoid. I mean, if that happens, I don't see any way they really win this game. But uh, if they can just make them work for it and go 10, 12, 14 plays to score a touchdown, that becomes a lot tougher to do than just, you know, breaking a tackle, going 70 yards in one play. How many points do you think Tech would need to score to win? Over 30, at well, least. What did Pitt get, 43? Yeah, 43. Uh, I think it would have to be over 30. I can't see them winning the game if it's under. I, I just don't see them holding Clemson under 30. Yeah. I, I mean, even the good teams that Clemson has faced this year, uh, the scoring has gotten way up there. Uh, you know, they kind of played a high scoring game against Louisville. Pitt obviously was 43, 42. Florida state was a high scoring game, even though Florida state sort of buckled down in the second half and started getting some stops. Uh, it's just, that's just the way the game goes now. I mean, it, these days where you win a game 17 to 14, when it's a really, really good offense on the other side of the field, I just don't think you're going to see that very often. Clemson's defense, though, is pretty special. Um, what what makes them good? Uh, what what does Tech need to be wary of as they attack that defense? Well, they're talented all over. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's like all of Clemson. They've recruited so well that, you know, they lose all these guys to the NFL and the defensive line. They just reload. Uh, the tackles, uh, Lawrence and I think Watkins or Wilkins. I always confuse those two, Watson and Wilkins. They're, they're very good. Uh, they have a defensive end who's – uh, a Lombardi or Nagurski finalist. I forget exactly which one. Uh, secondary, they, they've got NFL-type guys there. Ben Bolware in the middle as a linebacker, as, as an all-ACC guy. Uh, it's just you, you look all over the defense, and there's not really a weak spot or a spot that's talent deficient. Uh, now, they have given up some points this year. I mean, it, you go to the Louisville game, they won 42-36. Uh, Florida State, 37-34. Pitt, 43-42. They lose. Uh, there's a lot of points being scored there. And uh, the, the Clemson writer this week, uh, Aaron Brenner, a former Columbus uh, uh, George, uh, Ledger Inquirer alum like myself who covered Auburn back in the day, uh, he put this stat up. First quarter uh, points allowed by Clemson, 14 to Pittsburgh, 3 to Troy, 3 to Boston College. That's all season. Wow. They've had nine games where they held the opponent scoreless in the first quarter. So I think – as the game wears on, I don't know if they lose interest or because the score gets out of hand and all of a sudden the scoring gets going, but they've been a very tough team 
in the first quarter. And, and you know, I feel like if you, if you fall behind there, then it becomes infinitely tougher to, to come back against an offensive Clemson's caliber. You know, I asked Evans on Tuesday night, I said, I said, when you're watching film, I don't know if it's the fifth game or another game. Do you see anything that says to you, they're not invincible. We can get some points on that. And basically he said, I didn't need to see any film. Every man bleeds. That's what he said. Every man bleeds. And, and I, 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 you know, if they can protect him, which is a big if. I mean, because that, like you said, that defensive line is is a serious business, and that offensive <clears throat> line has had its ups and downs this year for Tech. But if he can get time, I mean, I think I think Evans can can do some damage against this team, and, and it's going to have to happen if they're going to win. Yeah, every man bleeds. Is that from a Rocky movie? That sounds like it's from. You a, said it was, or somebody said so it was from Predator, Predator, which I have not seen. I have I haven't know if I've seen that in its entirety either. It's a good quote. Whatever it is, though, I, I hope he got it from or didn't get it from somebody. He just made it up on the spot that make it even better. But yeah, I mean, you know, every team has its weak points. Mm-hmm. There's no defense out there that's perfect. Even Alabama, as good as Alabama is, has given up some points in some games. I mean, every time they play Ole Miss, they seem to give up 30 plus. They, you know, somehow Hugh Freeze has cracked the code on Alabama to at least play them tight every game, whereas every other team in the country just goes in as like. I have no clue. I have no clue how to, to, to go against this offense or this defense. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think, A, that speaks to the confidence that Evans has in himself and this offense. You know, I asked him, you know, if the score gets up pretty high, do you feel comfortable with this offense keeping up with these guys? He says, yes. Yeah. That's it. No elaboration. Just yes. I mean, that's It's almost like he's like, is that even a question? Yes. We're, we're capable of doing that. And, uh, you know, the other side of it is even with very good teams, uh, if you can make the play last more than two seconds, if you can keep, like you said, if you can keep the defensive line off the quarterback, you can't cover a guy four seconds down the field. You certainly can't cover Isaiah Ford and Cam Phillips and Bucky Hodges for that long. So uh, there are ways to to score against this team. It's been done before. It takes a, a pretty dynamic quarterback, as Bud Foster would say, to do it. Uh, but that's exactly what Virginia Tech has, is they have a pretty special player in Evans. Yeah, and and when we talk about disrespect, I think what we're talking about is the periphery, you know, the media. Right, yeah, uh, I don't think Clemson's no, going Clemson, into this game thinking Clemson, that. I think, is is very uh, appreciative of, of what Virginia Tech is going to bring on Saturday. Uh, Bullware talked about it, uh, and, and it wasn't just a typical, well, they got good players. I mean, Bullware went into detail about Evans saying, like, you know, he's really good. He's bigger body than Deshaun, and he reminds me a lot of Deshaun, all this stuff. Um, so I think they know that, that, that there's a threat on that other side of the ball. But I think you're right. I mean, those stats, those first quarter stats are very interesting. You think one of your keys will be start fast? First quarter. That's what it's just going to be. It's just going to say first quarter. Some version of start fast. Come out of the gates. Don't start slow. There's a million ways to phrase it. Those 8 p.m. kicks, man. You got to be able to grade those keys quickly. Now, uh, before we get to predictions, I guess we should mention uh, Logan Thomas, right? Uh, Fulfilling his destiny and becoming a, an NFL tight end. Yeah. Is that all? Is I, that don't, all I don't say? know. What the, it's been such a uh, well-trod subject at Virginia Tech over the years and the debate of, whoa, what could have been if he was a tight end his entire time. I always uh, counter that with, well, who's going to throw him the ball? Yeah. Who was going to be the quarterback all those years? I mean, he, yeah, he would have been a great-looking guy running down the field, running routes, but then the ball would have bounced at his feet, and he wouldn't have had anything to to catch. So, uh, you know, I, I always think it, he always gets mislabeled. It's like when he played tight end in high school. It's like, well, no, he didn't. He played receiver and he played uh, quarterback his last three years at Brookville. 
Uh, I think he was a tight end in the All-American game because that's what he wanted to be recruited as. And then Tech pulled the, the old switcheroo there Bait and switch. in, in, in August, the very first August that he got there. So he was never a tight end uh, in high school or in college, essentially. I know he caught the one pass uh, from Tyrod for a touchdown in his, uh, I think it was 2010. So it was a redshirt freshman year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this will be interesting to see. This is what a lot of people thought of him for a long time is, look at this guy, he's 6'6", 250, he can run really fast. Uh, I think he's got pretty good hands. Uh, they always kind of question his accuracy as a thrower. They're like, why is he trying, you know, banging his head against the wall, continuing to try to be a quarterback? It's like, well, they get paid pretty well for starters. Sure. And it's not the worst thing to collect a paycheck while holding a clipboard in the NFL. Uh, I think he's sort of run out of quarterback chances, though, in the NFL. I mean, he's been on four or five teams. Uh, hasn't really made any kind of dent there. I think uh, before you go out of the league at this point, you try a different position and see if you can make an impact there. And, uh, it's funny that Buffalo is the team he's now on. Uh, that's where Tyrod is. So, you know, they have thrown a pass to each other before. It, it could be an interesting thing to watch. I don't think he's going to be an immediate impact. He's a developmental guy, but uh, it, I'm curious to see how it works out for him. When we're all, While we're on the subject of the pros, I know we'll get into this more ahead of the bowl game and everything. Who do you think is going pro from this tech team? I mean, if you, had to, if you had to answer right now, yeah. I would guess Ford and, and Hodges. Okay. Uh, I think Bucky was close last year. He came back. He got his degree, I believe. Uh, I, I believe he graduated or will graduate this semester. Uh, he's a guy that's not playing his pro position in college. I mean, he's going to be a tight end in the pros. They have him playing receiver right now. So I, I would imagine that coming back for another year for him doesn't really improve his stock that much because, you know, what are NFL guys going to say? Well, you're not playing the position you're going to play in, in right. the NFL. What, why does that really help you? Uh, from Ford's perspective, I just feel like he's accomplished everything you can accomplish as a receiver uh, at Tech. Uh, maybe I'm, that's an old way of thinking, you know, just looking at the stats and stuff. I mean, obviously he can get better with another year, but I think he's good enough now that he's in the discussion for, you know, second round, third round, you know, who knows, maybe first round if a lot of receivers go. Uh, that's tough to pass up. And I'm saying this without any kind of inside knowledge. I haven't asked, you know, I think we asked Ford about it. It's like, I'm not even thinking that'll be after the season. So, you know, kind of a non-answer answer right. that he gave. I'm just looking at the situation. And, you know, when these guys are good enough to go and they're that could be taken that high in the draft, usually they do go. Yeah. And I hate this annual dance that we do with these players. Of, it's so dumb. Cause yeah. it, it always has to be on such a formal way. Like you ask them at the podium, it's like, what, what are they going to say? You're right. like, yep, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. See ya. See ya suckers. Uh, I won't have to be around these chumps anymore. I'll be with real pros. Yeah. You usually get somewhat a more honest answer immediately after the game. Yeah. After the bowl game, I should say. And I like the guys after the game. I, I think it was, uh, Lawrence Maroney, uh, Minnesota running back, uh, no baloney for Maroney, uh, that uh, they played Virginia in a Music City Bowl I was covering. And he had a pretty good game, and I think they lost the game or something like that. The sideline reporter came up after him and was like, uh, you know, tough loss, Lawrence. What, what are your plans here? He's like, well, I'm going to the NFL. So it's just like right, <laughs> on, right on TV right after a loss, didn't care. He's like, yep, I'm out of here. See you later. Yeah, D'Angelo Hall had a similar response when he when – he declared after the i can't remember which game it was but uh, i think they lost the game he might have won who knows it might have been the louisville his last game was it would have been the louisville game his last game was the california game california the, nut the bowl. yeah okay yeah i remember no Na- that was Nappy. the nut, was that the nut bowl or was that the i thought that was arizona was there the nut bowl was in california okay this one the what this one was against california and aaron Rodgers, oh, where they lost like 45 that was to in 42 arizona. Yeah. yeah yeah okay i think that was his last game <laughs> 
Well, as, while we're on the subject of bowls, before we get to our prediction, um, we know what the Hokies the Hokies would go to the Orange Bowl if they were to win this game. If they weren't, um, does it matter how bad they get beat? Uh, and what are the options for bowls? It gets kind of muddled there. I think it would matter. I mean, if they get blown out, that would be a bad look for a bowl team that's going to pick them. Uh, the options that are going to be there, I mean, the Orange Bowl is going to go to the next highest ranked team. This is if Tech loses. Clemson will be in the playoff, presumably. Uh, they're in the number three spot right now, I think. I can't imagine they would drop out of that with a win. Uh, so Clemson's would be number one. The Orange Bowl will go to the next highest ranked team, which right now is Florida State, which is one spot ahead of Louisville, a team it lost to by 43 points right. earlier this year. So the committee is so inconsistent with how it applies head-to-head logic and uh, like full resumes. And the, by putting Florida State ahead of Louisville, they say the Florida State's resume is head and shoulders above Louisville's, which I don't think it really is. Uh well, Louisville could have taken care of business. Well, yeah, Louisville Kentucky, Louisville I mean. has tanked down the stretch. Right? I just don't think Florida State's wins are maybe as impressive as people think. And if, if Florida goes and gets housed by Alabama in the SEC title game, which is very possible, that makes one of Florida State's wins look a lot worse. Right. I don't know if that will be enough to flip those two uh, next week, but it's certainly something to watch. Either way, one of those teams is going to the Orange Bowl if Clemson wins uh, this week. But Citrus Bowl should probably open up for the ACC. That opens up if a Big Ten team plays in the Orange Bowl, and the Big Ten has is four of the top seven teams right now. I have to imagine that's almost a mortal lock, if if not guaranteed at this point. So the Citrus Bowl and Russell Athletic Bowl are both in Orlando. That's the weird thing is yeah. uh, you, would, you would assume Florida State or Louisville, who doesn't make the Orange Bowl, will go to one of those games. And then do the Hokies go back to Orlando? I mean, it's sort of that Orlando fatigue at that point. Do you want them going there twice in four weeks? Uh, I think that's something to consider. And if they don't go there, then it'd be down to the Tier 1 Bowls. You're talking about uh, the the most likely of the four Tier 1 Bowls would be the Belk Bowl in Charlotte, which has never had Virginia Tech, and I think would love to have a local team like that that the fan base could travel in droves to. Uh, or the Tax Slayer Bowl in, in uh, the former Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, which there's a history there, but you know Georgia Tech and Miami are a lot closer to that venue than Virginia Tech is. I, I have to wonder if they'd even be a choice that's way up there. So, uh, and, and then another consideration is West Virginia could get into the Russell Athletic Bowl. And if that's the case, uh, you know Pitt becomes a very attractive option because Pitt and West Virginia used to play every year. They don't now, the backyard brawl. Uh, that could be sort of a rekindling of a rivalry game. That could be attractive for a, a bowl like Orlando there. Also, Virginia Tech opens next season against Virginia or West Virginia. So I don't know if they want to double up that matchup if uh, the Mountaineers are, are locked into that Russell Athletic Bowl. So there's a lot of things to consider. Uh, it's a very clear-cut case if the Hokies win this week, they'll go to the Orange Bowl. If they lose, then, uh, you know, honestly... I feel like it might be Jacksonville or Charlotte. I'm, I'm wondering if Orlando would take uh, the Hogies back so soon like that. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see. Now, let's see if, if we think Tech can remove all doubt and, and punch its ticket for Miami. Who you got? What's the score and why? I'm going to take Clemson 35-31, to 31, uh, which is closer than I think a lot of people think it will be. I think Virginia Tech can score with them. I think it'll be a game that gets up into the 30s like that. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it's a lot like the Notre Dame game, where just both teams have a lot of offensive success and you know eventually make some defensive stops. I just think the offenses in this game are, are better than the defenses right now, and, and both kind of playing like that at this point of the season. So I, I think it's a high-scoring game. I think Clemson is just a, a deeper, more experienced team of these kind of games, and I'll give them the edge. 
feel like a golden hokey this week. I really do. I mean, I I, I feel like such a suck up. Oh, Homer. Uh, yeah. I mean, Homer well, McFarland. first of all, I mean, what are you going to write about fifty-two to ten? Now, of course, right. it's going to be glowing. And then I wrote about how they kicked Bud in all the sports this week, and I talked to Wit, and Wit was very uh, nice and, and deferential about taking any of the credit. I don't regret doing that, but I, I just I'm you know I feel like I'm I'm getting swept up a little bit in all this this hokey success. Be that as it may, I'm going to take the Hokies in this game, 31 to 28, and that that would mean that uh, that Bud has a really good game because I think if you hold him to 28, you've done well. You've done very you've well. You've done very well. Um, and I you know I, I'm kind of just feeling maybe Bud's got one of those. Man, where did he come up with that games in him? You know, like because I don't think we've really necessarily seen that this year. I mean, he's had certainly his defense has had good games, um, but I don't know if there's been one. Necess- I mean, maybe Not North against- Carolina because but there was a hurricane situation and You're right. Um, Not against a, a a caliber of offense like this that was in a favorable conditions. I guess is a way to to say that. Yeah, I mean, I I believe in Evans. As if you have listened to this podcast, you understand that. If you read the column tomorrow, you'll understand that. If you read the column on Sunday, you understand that. Uh, I'm I buy into Evans. I mean, he is a pretty unflappable dude and talented as well. And those and, and when you motivate him as well, I mean, I know he's always motivated. He's sort of a perfectionist, but when you also put that little that little tack in, into his uh, abdomen and say, hey, uh, you know. Jared. Hey, Jared. <laughs> I can see. I, I, I'm sort of vision envisioning him. We're scrambling to write our stories, you know, as sweat's dripping off our face in the in the waning hours of the of the evening, and he's out on a podium somewhere holding up that MVP trophy, talking about my name is Gerard Evans. I'll tell you, that would be the easiest lead to write ever. Like if, if that right. happened uh, on an eight o'clock deadline, I would actually be kind of grateful because I'm like, this thing writes itself. I don't even have to, to work to write this thing. That'd be that'd be great. We'd be fighting over who would get the Gerard lead <laughs> in our stories, and then we'd just both end up using it anyway. <laughs> That's right. Well, see how it all pans out on Saturday. Uh, Andy and I will both be there to cover it, and of course, we'll have more coverage leading up to the game as well as post-game and bowl destination. And we'll get together again to talk about the bowl when that's uh, released. Uh, that's should about cover it, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Okay. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. Enjoy the game. We'll see you next time.